Hello and welcome to the latest We Are Guernsey podcast. For those who don't know, Guernsey is a leading global finance centre of substance, stability and security committed to, to the cause of green and sustainable finance. My name is Brandon Ashplant. I'm strategy and technical executive here at We Are Guernsey, the brand under which Guernsey Finance promotes the island of Guernsey's specialist financial services sector in its respective chosen markets. On today's podcast, the third and final in a series of podcasts leading into and out of the Guernsey Private Wealth Forum 2021, we're discussing the important role that global finance centres play in efficiently and effectively mobilising private capital to achieve maximum output and therefore maximum social return. To discuss these trends in more detail, I'm delighted to introduce today's guest, Kit Hobbs. Kit is a solicitor of the Senior Courts of England and Wales and holds an MBA from the University of Cambridge's Judge Business School. Head of Legal at Bellreve Trust Limited, a Guernsey headquartered trust and company services provider. He specializes in private wealth structuring and has experience in private equity and regulation. Kit recently wrote an article in IFC Review focusing on the important role that global finance centers such as Guernsey play in channeling private wealth into solving the causes and issues that families and investors care about. As mentioned previously, this podcast is part of the campaign for Guernsey's 2021 Annual Private Wealth Forum. This year's event, which was held on the 5th of October at Banking Hall in London, marked an exciting return to physical events for us as an agency on the back of the pandemic. Titled The Power of Capital, the event analyzed the wider trends around traditional forms of philanthropy and contrasted it against the growth of socially responsible investing. A key discussion point at this year's event explored the forefront of this ever-changing landscape, which includes new forms such as impact-based philanthropy, a strategy that leverages patient capital to develop a third way that seeks to combine the efficiency and scale of the market with the social impact of charity and aid. We were fortunate enough to welcome Dr. Julia Mensink, Head of Impact at Acumen, to sit on the panel and explain this. With Acumen operating right at the heart of this cross-section, she explained how the Acumen business model has embraced philanthropy and the market to achieve the best possible outcomes for those living in low- and middle-income countries. Our other panellist, Rene Hoare, partner and head of philanthropy at C. Hoare Co., a bank that will next year celebrate 350 years of trading, literally brought generations of understanding of philanthropy to the discussion. Uh, we also heard from Sally Rochester, a director at Deloitte UK based uh, in Guernsey. She outlined Guernsey's position with respect to the UNEPFI's 21st Century Fiduciary Duty Initiative. If you missed out on the event, uh, you can watch it uh, via recording on the on-demand section at weareguernsey.com. So without further ado, we welcome Kit and thank you for joining us today, Kit. Well, thank you very much, Brandon. Lovely to be here. So to begin, um, I'd like to just introduce you to our listeners. How did you end up working in private wealth from a, a legal perspective? You know, tell us a little bit about your backstory and career to date and, and how you arrived at Bell Reef Trust Limited. So I qualified in London as a solicitor uh, many moons ago and moved to Guernsey to work with a Swiss fund manager. 
then into private practice on the corporate side, and more recently back in-house with Bell Reeve Trust. Much of this has entailed assisting clients with all sorts of matters, with uh, client range spanning institutional funds, pension funds, corporates, smaller commercial enterprises, individuals, of course, and charitable trusts. And in turn, each is benefiting from the experience of the providers based here and Guernsey's overall financial services ecosystem. Uh, so both at work and beyond, I work on a number of charitable and philanthropic matters, serving on committees and boards locally within Guernsey, and have previously sat as an observer with the Guernsey Overseas Aid and Development Commission. Okay, a very interesting kind of career to date. Uh, thanks for that intro. So let's get started. Um, something you mentioned uh, is this idea of how aggregate demand far outstrips aggregate supply when it comes to philanthropy. You refer to the context of the pandemic as a key reason for freeing up these resources to be devoted to philanthropic enterprises. Um, can you explain a bit more about this? You know, do you think the pandemic has, you know, in the long run, actually improved the way philanthropic activity is conducted from an operational and logistical standpoint? I do. I think in many ways, the pandemic has brought forward all sorts of projects forwards by several years. Um, so obviously, we've had to abandon previous working methods, rituals as well, and ways of doing things more generally. And it's given us time, especially uh, clients and consumers of legal services and uh, financial services for Guernsey and further as well, uh, to focus on what's important to them. And those with both money and a desire to do something in this domain have found it easier to spend the time developing their ideas and putting things into practice, um, establishing suitable outlets for their, uh, I suppose in many ways, nervous energy. So although there's been an increase in the uh, volume of philanthropy supplied, if you will, the quantity demanded has risen at least in step for hopefully obvious reasons. But that rise has also benefited from the rising tide in all things CSR, ESG and impact related. Uh, I think it's important to see that they're not, um, uh, those terms obviously sit on a continuum, they're not interchangeable, and that came through strongly from uh, the event, The Power of Capital, but uh, they do sit together and are often complementary to one another. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we talk about, you know, su such kind of concepts in a vague kind of way. I don't suppose you have maybe some kind of tangible examples you could draw on, perhaps in the work you've done? I think one thing that's been quite helpful is uh, we've had a number of uh, clients and prospective clients approach us with ideas that uh, so we had uh, one who wanted to help India having been on holiday there admittedly while uh, travel was still a possibility it became clear that when we dug into what he actually wanted to achieve it was uh, supporting educational efforts um, in a particular part of India so we're able to scope out the best vehicle for use, um, indeed making sure Guernsey was an appropriate place to base to base it, um, show that we had existing expertise and uh, work out uh, what would be a minimum viable amount to make the uh, project work. I think one thing that's key is that um, 
now that a lot of people have had time to think of things, work on ideas, they can contact um, a suitable professional and just run the idea past someone just to see how best they could uh, achieve their aims. It could be supporting um, nature-related uh, I think it could be supporting pangolins, panthers or penguins. It could be the advancement of education as happened with uh, our Indian project. It could be agriculture related. We've had other projects previously which look at, uh, at Central Africa um, where there was a clear need for development, but uh, the initial seed capital was needed to grow, um, uh, develop in the first place and then help grow a community of um, with starting with agriculture, but um, in the end, setting up a commercial basis for all sorts of other activities that could go with it. So starting with um, the plant and equipment needed for harvesting, um, a sales location um, in many ways reminiscent of the development of uh, Clarkson's farm, um, starting with just bare fields, but growing into a little uh, ecosystem helping a larger number of people with uh, uh, set performance indicators that would show that the venture had been a success. Okay, it's interesting. It seems like, like you say, there's a, a, a kind of plethora of causes that, you know, clients and prospective clients kind of look to. I don't suppose there's a, a common running theme, you know, are, are things, I'm sure things come into fashion and out of fashion and fall into popularity and out of popularity, you know, climate related or climate based issues are, are, you know, very popular at the moment and hopefully will, will continue to be, but are there particular causes that you see? Yeah. Kind of come into fashion and out of fashion at all. I think one thing that's been a particular help and the pandemic with everyone working, um, in unusual ways um, and having to rethink how they work. Um, a lot of things have started as ideas and turned into conversations which can be refined over time. Um, so in, on the family office side at work, we've had, uh, we, we have a particular family that's going through intergenerational wealth transfer. Um, and the eldest son is very keen to uh, put something back in uh, inverted commas back into the planet and society at large so starting with um, those that he's familiar with in the private capital arena he started having conversations and we're able to build into um what can be supported but also perhaps more importantly what can't be um uh, I think a large part, um, much in the same way in the pure commercial sphere, in philanthropy and, and charity as well, it's important to work out what you're not able to support as well as what you are. Um, and I think by having conversations uh, with clients and see, just starting off, seeing what they're interested in, keeping in touch with them, um, those conversations can evolve over time and you can help uh, bring ventures to fruition. Mm. So it seems to be a very much kind of a moving picture that it's almost a journey that you take clients on. Um, in Absolutely. Yeah. Um, 
a key point that we explored further at uh, Guernsey's Private Wealth Forum this year is how financial centres and, and global finance centres such as Guernsey are becoming hubs for philanthropy, um, despite it not being kind of a core financial service or core remit, if you like. Um, you know, we've seen here in Guernsey that philanthropy often seamlessly fits into the existing client offering uh, and benefits from the established system or ecosystem of conducting uh, client services. Considering this, what benefits do global finance centres offer uh, when it comes to conducting philanthropy? I think for Guernsey and its competitive jurisdictions, um, they have a wide range of potential and existing clients who are able to become um, benefactors of particular projects. Um, we're already looking after their financially focused investment needs, taking in the full range of locally regulated banks, funds, trust companies, investment managers, and other advisory professionals. Um, but it's, it's, I suppose, a small bolt-on to add their charitable and philanthropic advice. Um, so although those elements, the, the pure elements there are not regulated, they dovetail nicely into other touch points with uh, licensees, regulated entities, and so on. Um, and those conversations can be passed or broadened from, uh, say, an investment manager to uh, bringing in the trustee, speaking to lawyers and so on. Um, and very quickly, you, you're able to build on the overarching framework that Guernsey um, and other jurisdictions offer um, with support, uh, given that regulated basis from an anti-money laundering perspective um, and avoiding any risk of uh, financing terrorism, which is obviously something the GFSC is very keen for people to avoid. So I think by becoming a, a global leader in offering philanthropic and charitable services, Guernsey is exceptionally well-placed to um, add philanthropy onto its existing services, it's already up and running. Um, and it also benefits new, uh, for want of a better word, consumers of financial services. And just locally, we've got developments coming in the local charities law. There's huge domestic involvement on the philanthropic front and very active organisations such as the Association of Guernsey Charities and the Guernsey Community Foundation, all finding ways to put um, potential donors together with actual projects that need funding. Okay, so it, it definitely seems that there is kind of like an element of, of ecosystem that, that already exists in the financial services sector that in, enables kind of philanthropic activities and, and similar kind of charitable aid activities to be, like I say, bolted on uh, and easily slot into the existing framework of services offered. Um, you know, considering this and considering this kind of this is a growth area, what measures and kind of initiatives have global finance centres, um, perhaps, you know, focusing on Guernsey, um, what kind of, you know, services have they developed to better accommodate philanthropic kind of econo economic activities? Uh, I think the starting point is the overall ecosystem and uh, the benefits of working with existing clients, um, expertise developing locally. Um, there's a, a huge effort to develop um, philanthropic uh, services locally. Um, there are contacts across all sorts of other global 
uh, finance centres, but also major world economies too. Um, but I think it's important Guernsey can show that it's leading the way morally, uh, putting its financial services to good use and sharing know-how with other places. There's uh, quite a, a strong link through the Overseas Aid uh, Commission with Costa Rica for um, rather wonderful historical reasons. Um, but we, we're we able to, in the same way that uh, Scotland has partnered very strongly with Malawi, we're able to build and develop on uh, what we've already got and work um, in a sustained and sustainable manner to uh, bring philanthropy to the fore. Mm. Uh, something, I mean, and you touched on it there with, with overseas aid, but something that has come to the fore as of late, uh, and, and I think is actually quite thought-provoking and timely as we have this discussion, is, is how this all relates to the abolition of the Department for International Development in the UK. This is something we have heard a lot about in the media. Um, do you think global finance centres such as Guernsey ought to step in and assist philanthropists to fill this obvious kind of financial void that will inevitably occur that has been left by government? Or is it perhaps, you know, is this something we should stay out of? Where, where do you see this? What do you think of this? I think Guernsey certainly has the ability to leverage its uh, contacts, uh, networks and uh, services to help fill that gap. I don't think it'll fill it on its own, but I think it's very well placed to uh, assist with that stepping in. Uh, there are all sorts of ways that, that it can do um, and other ways in terms of uh, just local interaction. And there are discussions around it, but uh, there are evolutions in legislation coming. And I think as part of a societal uh, transition, we're moving away um, bit by bit from a, a uh, purely um, uh, Friedman-esque view of the company as serving it solely its shareholders to more stakeholder engagement and uh, uh, looking at society beyond. Um, already, the GFSC has brought in an obligation on local regulated entities to consider climate change and I think that nudging things in, the, in that direction is the uh, direction of travel but I think Guernsey is very well placed to uh, build on what it's already offering and show other jurisdictions how to do that in a sensitive sensitive way keep bringing stakeholders along the way for the ride. Mm. Um, it was interesting you you touch on touch on that um, about how Guernsey's made those changes. Uh, one of the points that was made by Sally Rochester in the Private Wealth Forum this year was how, of course, Guernsey's position with respect to its 21st century fiduciary duties uh, and even director's duties is evolving and changing as the island looks to align with with that initiative. That was, you know, as you probably will know, launched by Al Gore, Vice President Al Gore, um, several years ago. This kind of change in, in, in understanding of the code of corporate governance in Guernsey, how has this impacted client understandings of the island? Or, or is it uh, perhaps it's early days? Who, who knows? I think early days is a good way of looking at it. I think we're, we're clearly staking out our territory, showing we're a thought leader in 
what's coming. Um, as uh, as you'll know, Guernsey Finance is very heavily involved with the UNFC4S, the Financial Centres for Sustainability uh, Initiative, to keep um, to have Guernsey punching above its weight in the consideration of sustainability and impact matters, um, as addressed earlier. Uh, I mean, I think a lot of this is part of a continuum. Yes, there's uh, a lot of terms are bandied around quite uh, freely. CSR, ESG, impact, philanthropy, venture philanthropy as a subset of that. And I think it's important to define terms appropriately. At its broadest, philanthropy is... I suppose, best seen as private resources uh, being put to public good um, with defined objectives. And uh, obviously, there's a huge amount of overlap with charity, but it does sit um, in its own space on that continuum. Um, uh, uh, Certainly, it continues to evolve, but um, I think Guernsey's showing that... uh, it's well-placed and through regulated entities to start with. Um, this is where we're travelling. Mm. You did. You mentioned the UNFC4S uh, there briefly. So actually turning to more towards that now and talking about Guernsey specifically, you are a member yourself of the Guernsey Finance Green and Sustainable Strategy Working Group. Uh, and so I'm sure you work closely with those in Guernsey that are working hard to ensure that Guernsey's financial services industry is meeting its global obligations to the climate. As I understand it, you have also worked with the group in representing Guernsey and it's interested at the UNFC4S, that's the UN Financial Centres for Sustainability, as you pointed out before. How do you think Guernsey can continue to build on the good work that it does uh, with the world's major economies, you know, and the major cities of the world that are part of this group, you know, Paris um, and so forth? Uh, and also, how can the island work with supranational institutions uh, such as the UNFC4S to, to further improve our, you know, global relationship with the climate? I think one thing that's surprisingly uh, useful and is um, just by explaining what Guernsey is, um, where it is physically, and um, uh, reliably turning up to as many meetings as possible. Um, uh, from there, showing that making contributions and showing that Guernsey is acting in a whole range of initiatives relating to finance and sustainability. But I think, um, so on that front, yes, we've had um, Guernsey Green Fund, we've had uh, the uh, GEAR ESG insurance framework come out recently, and those continue to involve, and there are other initiatives coming. I think having Guernsey, a a suitably sized uh, Guernsey delegation represented at COP26 coming up is a a great decision. But I think um, uh, just explaining to people what Guernsey is, uh, what it can offer, and in large part what it's not, that it's it's not uh, some uh, nefarious um, shady place. It's just explaining what it is and um, flying the flag for Guernsey, showing that the, the bailiwick's entire financial range and that we're also involved in um, considering 
climate change, sustainable matters, uh, charitable and philanthropic issues too, um, is doing wonders to, to show that Guernsey is a force for good. It is interesting that you do note there that one of the key kind of yeah points we should be looking to is explaining and discussing the role of the likes of Guernsey in this in this um, discussion. That actually directly links to, uh, interestingly enough, one of the points that Rene Hoare um, from C. Hoare & Co. mentioned at the uh, Private Wealth Forum event on the panel he sat on. Um, the concluding remark he made was that, you know, in order to ensure that we are moving the right direction, communication is key. And actually, he said, holding forums like this, often, you know, it gets lost and, and we think, you know, these events are very much, to, you know, what are they in aid of? What is the actual tangible results we're seeing on the back of such events? But like you say, and like he says, it's all about communication, facilitating discussion and uh, and understanding the role of the likes of Guernsey in, in this wider debate. Um, it's as simple as that almost, isn't it? It's not about going off and running away with big key ticket, big ticket projects and, and the like. Sometimes it's actually just bringing it home, understanding the role of jurisdictions and where they fit in. I couldn't agree more. I think, and listening to the market, listening to what clients want, and offering um, steady solutions to those problems or issues, and 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 working appropriately to um, professionalise the philanthropic sector, um, which certainly is happening. It's it's happening, and also happening very fast. Um, other innovations too, looking at uh, filling the gap uh, from the international development perspective uh, with the Overseas Aid Commission as and when it's able to come back into a funding role has some very innovative propositions with uh, public capital sitting, sitting alongside private capital to work on projects together. But I think absolutely it's, um, it's a case of... Um, making the most of uh, what we've done uh, using stability, financial expertise and our knowledge base um, to service existing client needs, including on the philanthropic front. Hmm. Uh, so a final question now. Uh, we've come to the end. Um, at Private Wealth Forum, our two panellists, so Dr. Julia Mensik and Rene Hoare, uh, assessed the role of socially responsible investing uh, that looks to generate a social, you know, as well as economic return, and how it contrasts with more traditional forms of philanthropy. Something um, that was touched on in the introduction uh, was, was similar as well. Do you think there will still be a place for traditional methods of philanthropy? Or will philanthropy, as we, as we, as we, like I say, we traditionally understand it, will it actually be eclipsed by the rise of ESG, impact investing, and, and socially responsible forms of investing in some way? I think there's very much space for evolution. Um, we are seeing modes of philanthropy move on. The old um, checkbook philanthropy, um, often known as fire and forget, um, I think it is largely a thing of the past. Um, now, there's a lot of criticism that comes the way of uh, modern philanthropists at large scale. Um, so looking at uh, some of the things that have been said about Bill Gates in relation to uh, whether it's malaria or coronavirus, um, 
they are not immune and it's it's not a way of massaging uh, public relations but i think there's there's certainly huge positive impact that can come out of uh, philanthropy and i think it's worth bearing in mind that over time the gaps that philanthropy is trying to fill um are they morph they move they change new ones come and take their place but there will still be a place for it um i think another interesting point to come out of the the panel discussion was um the phrase conscious capital i, I spoke earlier of the continuum um from as the, the pure commercial end looking just at financial returns with prejudice to everything else um, uh, moving across to far end of the spectrum, uh, something along the lines of checkbook philanthropy, writing a check and um, not expecting any sort of financial return, but caring deeply about the social and other returns that can be gained. But um, uh, the expressions are not interchangeable. I think there's a huge um, amount of education that is going on and should continue in relation to uh, philanthropy and indeed the entire conscious capital continuum um, but the pace of change is definitely picking up there are positive moves ahead of COP26 and I think sustainability impact philanthropy are all here very much on the map and able to be serviced from Guernsey. Okay well that's all we have time for today. Uh, I'd like to thank our guest, Kit Hobbs, for an excellent conversation. It's been really valuable to discuss the important role of global finance centres in conducting philanthropy in an efficient and effective manner, and an excellent way to wrap up our 2021 Guernsey Private Wealth Forum campaign. We also have a catalogue of interviews and panel discussions on the We Are Guernsey podcast channel. You can discover why we are a leading centre of green and sustainable finance via our sister podcast channel, the Guernsey Green Finance Podcast, which was actually recently rated in the top 10 green podcasts by the Green Finance Guide. You can check out both of those channels by searching for them on your preferred podcast platform. To find out more about Guernsey and its financial services sector, visit weareguernsey.com, where, you, where you'll find everything from the latest news to informative literature, as well as our on-demand section. If you think Guernsey is the jurisdiction for you, you can find Guernsey-based private wealth services providers on the business directory of our website or by contacting a member of our business development team. And we'd love to hear your feedback. You can get in touch with us on Twitter at WeAreGuernsey. We also have links to Kit and Bell Reef Trust's social medias on our show notes, so check these out to hear more from them. That's all for now. We'll be back soon with another edition of the We Are Guernsey podcast. For now, it's goodbye from Guernsey.